good morning, Rocky Peak. <clears throat> Great to see you. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name's Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are going to go into our time of teaching in just a minute. Um, but I've got a couple really important announcements. You know, this Friday, uh, I'm going to be sending out a ministry update letter. And this is something I do every January with some again, really important kind of beginning of the year things that you need to know about. Um, and I'll be doing that again Friday. So if you're not uh, on our current email list and you'd like to be, inside your program, you have a little connect card and you just fill it with all the information and drop it at one of our giving kiosks out in the, the lobby or out on the patio and then we'll add you. But uh, I, the reason I'm highlighting is there are a couple important things that are very unusual things. First of all, uh, I mentioned back in my ministry update letter at the end of November that the elders uh, are recommending that we update our, uh, our Rocky Peak bylaws. And the main driver, I'll explain more about this in the letter, but the main driver is just our attorneys have recommended that this kind of changing social culture we're in, that it would be great to have kind of our, our statement, our doctrinal statement, uh, kind of to, that shows that we're, um, we're committed to kind of orthodox uh, Christianity, biblical teaching, especially in the area of human sexuality. And so we've kind of reworked that and explained more about that. And so I want to make sure you're aware of that. And um, on our website, we'll be posting both our current bylaws and our old ones. And I'll be pointing out some things to look for so you can kind of compare those, right? Uh, second thing is, and this is very exciting, you know, uh, we've been on this campus for about 35 years. Now, I haven't been here that long. I know it looks like it, but... Uh, <laughs> I haven't been here that long, but uh, the, first, the, the first buildings went up and were opened back in 1988. And since that time, of course, we've uh, expanded our campus, we added a new worship center, we've renovated all of our buildings, we've added new, material, uh, new uh, property, and so on. Um, but one thing that's been true for all those 35 years, ever since that first building, is we've always, like most churches, we've always had a mortgage on this new things and stuff like that. And um, several years ago, we felt as an elder board, we kind of saw the winds of change blowing in our culture. We just felt like it would be really wise to try to get ahead of this and to kind of pay off that mortgage so whatever comes, so we're ready for it. And, uh, and so we began setting aside significant part of our budget every month for that purpose. And uh, the good news is this fall, we paid off our mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so what that means is for the first time since we've been meeting on this property, we are completely debt-free as a church, yeah? So we, we want to celebrate that. We're so thankful for God, for his faith. I mean, this is in the midst of the last few years, of, in the midst of COVID years, right? And so just thankful for God for this amazing uh, milestone. But also thank you to you, to those of you who've given so generously uh, over the years that have made this possible. And so here's what we want to do. We want to celebrate this. So the, so the last week of this month, the last weekend of this month, the last Sunday of this month, we're having our annual encounter. For those of you who've never been, it's an amazing night of worship and prayer. I'll be casting some vision for the new year, some of the new things, I'm calling it a fresh wind, some of the new things that God's doing this year. Um, and we're going to celebrate all that. But afterwards, uh, we want to have sort of a party, too, just to celebrate this major milestone. And so out on the patio, I don't know if you've ever heard of the place down in Newport Beach called uh, Sugar and Spice. 
uh, but they, they serve these amazing Balboa bars that, uh, that they're kind of handcrafted, either bananas or uh, ice cream that are dipped in a bunch of things. It's just a lot of fun. And so we're, we're catering them. We're bringing them up. It's free of charge for the whole family or whatever. Have as many as you want. Uh, but we just want to celebrate. There's a warning, though. You, if you get sick, you're on your own. Uh, and so, uh, hey, I, wanna, I just want to encourage you. January 29th, uh, we're going to have child care for our younger kids. Older students always join us. It's a night of worship and prayer and so on. And so make sure you get that on your calendar. I want to encourage you to come as whole life groups. Come together. Let's pack this place out and give thanks for what God is doing. Amen? Amen. All right. So, um, okay, so that's, uh, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, we'll have some more stuff later, but uh, that's it. So we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. Uh, and so as Trish mentioned, inside your program is a message note sheet. And so uh, we're not online this service, so I can say whatever I want. It's... Uh, <laughs> So, um, so yeah, if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. Well, Father, we're excited to be here. It's a new year. It's a new series. And we're excited to see what you're going to do. And Father, we just come to you as your people underneath your leadership, underneath the mentoring of your Holy Spirit, underneath the shepherding of your, your spirit and your word, uh, under the authority of your word. And we come today, Lord, to hear your voice. We're hungry for you we want to, to know you. We want to be renewed and transformed by the renewing of our minds. So as we enter this, this kind of new series about worldview, we just pray that you would open our eyes to see things we've never seen um, so that we can follow you more passionately, understand you more deeply, and impact our culture more significantly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Our story starts today in October. And... Um, I got a phone call from his close friend, and we'd often gone backpacking together, and so he was calling to pitch me an idea that we would go backpacking, and honestly, I wasn't really into this, because uh, there was a bunch, of, a bunch of reasons why, and I explained those reasons, and he said, yeah, but I've done the research, this is amazing. He said, what I want to do is go backpacking in the Sierras like we normally do, but I found this spot where these three streams come together to form one river. And he said, so what I want to do is kind of hike off trail down to where that becomes a river, and we'll have two or three days there to fish. There'll be no one else around. It's going to be great fishing. And uh, so he, he finally convinced me, and I said, all right. So on the way up there, you know, we're talking about the weather, and uh, there was absolutely no precipitation in the forecast, but, you know, it's always a little dicey. Uh, late in October in the Sierras, you're on the edge of winter, and Anything could happen. In fact, we talked about the Donner Party on the way up there. Um, for, for those of you who are not familiar, back in 1846, there was a party of settlers who tried to cross the Sierras, uh, and, and they were hit by a major uh, snowstorm uh, early in the season, unexpectedly, and they ended up getting stuck, and they all died there, and the last people ended up eating each other. And so we were reflecting on this on the way up as we were talking about the time of year that we were going. And so we, we arrive, but we're like, well, no, but that's why there's nothing, in, there's nothing in the forecast, right? There's like clear sailing. We should be fine. And so we get there, we start hiking uh, on the first day. We come to a certain point, and he says, he's looking at the map, and he says, hey, I think this is a spot. This is a spot where we need to go off, you know, we need to go off uh, trail, and uh, we should hike away. We should come to a river, and this will be the river that's below the three, the three streams where it's all come together. And so sure enough, we hike a little bit. We come to the river. We assume it's that river. 
And so, uh, so we have to cross this river. So it's pretty, it's pretty, it's not super deep, but it's really wide. And, um, and so we're going to have to go, I don't know, 30, 40 yards across this, this river. There's no bridge there. And so we got backpacks on. We're going to have to jump from rock to rock, from boulder to boulder, crossing this, which is a little sketchy when you have 45 pounds on your back, you know, but we're like, okay, so we'll, we'll go for it. And so we did, and amazingly, we made it. We, we made it, we get on the other side, and this site is incredible. I mean, where there's no one else around, it's a beautiful spot. We're just looking forward to settling in for a couple days of just relaxation, conversation, great fishing. We set up our tent, and then it began to rain. <laughs> I mean, well, this won't last. This is probably afternoon, stairs, showers. You know, there's nothing in the forecast. It started raining harder. It started pouring. And it rained all night long. We set up this huge bonfire. There was like the flames were this high. And we just had to keep it that high to keep things going. And, uh, and throughout the night, we'd set our watch. Every two hours, one of us would get up and go f- feed the fire. And uh, we got up the next morning. It was still raining. It rained all that day. That night, we went to sleep. And I'm like, this is not a lot of fun. You know, we're in a two-man tent. It's like cramped in there. <laughs> and, um, and so I wake up in the middle of the night. And it's like, praise God, it's not raining. It's the rain up. So I wake up in the morning, and I find out why it had stopped raining, that it started snowing. (laughs) And we were now in a winter wonderland. And we're like, this is no fun. Let's leave here. Let's, Let's hike out. Let's go back to our car. Let's go to Mono Hot Springs. We'll get some potato chips and a beer. We'll sit in the hot spring. And so, but of course, we, we, can't, we can't go back across the river because every rock is covered with snow. You can't jump from rock to rock. And so, you know, we think we know where we are, right? We're on this, this big river below the three, three little streams. And so we're gonna, just going to hike north on this thing. We'll come to those three little streams. We'll cross our path according to the map. And uh, it all will be well. So we began hiking. And to this day, I'm not sure exactly what happened but we never found that trail. And it was super confusing. And I don't know if it's because of snow on the ground or what, but we hiked. It was the most grueling day of hiking in my life. And as we're going up that side of this river, it, it, the, the mountains began getting bigger and bigger. We're, we're climbing up granite. At one point, I remember we were shimming up a big like log that had fallen on the side of the granite cliff to get up to the next level. And then at one point, I was laying down on my stomach and pulling my friend and his backpack up on top of this, this cliff. And at one point, we came to kind of a treacherous place, and he takes a fall. And he falls into this granite crevice. Unfortunately, he wasn't injured. But about an hour later, after hiking an hour, we discovered that when he fell and turned upside down, he lost the only map that we had. (laughs) By that night, we were on top of a ledge high above this river in the midst of snow, not, not knowing where we were, completely lost, we remembered that there was like three of these three little streams, you know, and we're, we met happy on one of them. One of them led to civilization 12 miles, one led to civilization 28 miles, and one never led to civilization. <laughs> oh, wow. 
And so we're, we're lying there in the tent, we're exhausted, no map, edge of winter, no weather forecast, completely lost. Well, today, we are kicking off our new series. It's called Worldview, Renewing Your Mind. And honestly, I'm so excited about it. I've said before, but I really mean this, that I believe this has potential to be one of the most important series we've ever gone through as a church, especially in this kind of era, this new era we're in as a culture. And so today is a very foundational lesson. And so what we're going to do today is a couple of things. I want to I start by defining the word worldview, because for some of us, that may be kind of a normal word. We're used to using it. For others of us, it may be completely new. So I want to make sure we start with a great definition. What do we mean by worldview? Then we're going to come back, and I'm going to give you five key principles about worldview that we'll carry with us all through this series. And then we'll wrap up, uh, if I remember, at the end and uh, ask you one final question. Uh, last service, I, uh, I wrapped up, we prayed, and I realized I'd forgotten to ask that question. And so I said, okay, I sent the band back. Hey, sorry, come back in five minutes, you know? So uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> so there in your note sheet, you have a section called uh, Worldview, a couple definitions. Now, if you look at the first one, it's pretty long. It's actually sort of the academic, it's uh, technical uh, definition, and uh, it, it's not the easiest to understand. We're going to walk through it. I'll explain it all. It, it'll give me a great platform to help me help explain what a, a worldview is, and then we'll come back and we'll do a working, uh, kind of a working definition that I've written that I think will be simpler for us to use once we understand more of the nuance of the academic one. Now, before we jump in, uh, I've got to challenge you. This series, at certain points, Not every point, not most of the series, but this series, for some of us, is going to be more challenging than perhaps any other series. Uh, I am convinced that if we are want to understand what's happening in our culture right now, uh, if we want to be transformed so that we listen and follow Jesus well in the midst of a culture that's increasingly hostile to Jesus and his claims, and that if we want to continue to have impact on our culture for the good and to share Christ in effective ways with people who don't know him, that we have to understand this key concept of worldview. But having said that, uh, it's going to be challenging. And it makes me think of what Jesus said. He said that uh, the top priority in life is, is that we learn to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our minds. And I think one of the challenges in our culture for Bible-believing followers of Jesus is we have often loved him more with our heart than our mind. And if we are going to thrive in in what, what is coming down in our future, that we have to learn how to love God with all our mind. And so today, I'm going to be introducing some concepts that for some of you may be new. There may be times in this series a bit challenging. And I would just encourage you, if that happens, not to tune out, to really press in. Because I think this is essential for us as we move forward in our culture as followers of Christ. So we're going to start with this definition, all right? It's going to be a little bit challenging. I'm going to read it. At the end, you may say, what? And then I'll walk through and we'll explain it, okay? So here we go. So this, this uh, def- first definition comes from an excellent book on worldview. It happens to be a Christian author, although this text has often been used in even secular campuses uh, over the last 20, 30 years. And, uh, and so 
uh, he's gonna define, in this book, it's called The Universe Next Door. It's, the author is James Sire. And uh, in this, he's gonna define what a worldview is. And then in the book, he's gonna break down nine of the most influential worldviews that have impacted Western culture over the last 400 years, including Eastern culture worldviews, right? And so it's an excellent book. It's a little bit more technical, a little bit more academic, but if that's your, your thing, uh, you'll enjoy it. Anyway, so he says a worldview is a commitment. Uh, it's a fundamental orientation of the heart. And uh, it can be expressed as a story or as a set of presuppositions. And by presuppositions, he means assumptions, which may be true, they may be partially true, they may be entirely false, and we can hold them either consciously or subconsciously, uh, consistently or inconsistently, and these assumptions have to do with the basic constitution of reality. And, And these assumptions then provide a foundation on which we live and move and have our being. And how many are super excited about that definition, right? You're like, like, what did he just say? All right, so I'm gonna break it down. But the reason I wanna start, because I wanna start with like a, a fairly like a, a, a technical, academic uh, definition, uh, how this word is used. And, uh, and this definition will help us get at a lot of things, all right, the, the understanding. So let's, let's start. Okay, so I want you to take your pen, and I want you to circle or highlight or whatever, I want to a couple of things. First, I want you to circle the word assumptions. Okay, find the word assumptions and uh, circle that. And then we're gonna circle the phrase the base, about the basic constitution of reality. Okay, and once you've circled both things, then draw a line between them. Because this is the heart of this definition. What is a worldview? A worldview is an assumption about the deepest realities of life like the most important issues of life. So you say, like what? Um, okay, like, let's start. Like the first basic thing is, is there a God or is there not a God? And if there is a God, what is that God like? Is that God a personal God? Is that God a force, an energy field? That's like basic ground, ground one of the worldview, right? Secondly, like what about the cosmos? Where did the cosmos come from? How do do we get here? Um, What what is a human being? What does it mean to be a human being? Um, Is there any purpose in life or is life completely random? Uh, Is there such a thing as right and wrong? And if so, how do you figure that out? Um, What about the future? Um, Is this this planet that we're on just gonna burn out in time? There is no future, there's no meaning in it. Or, Or is there some sort of future, not only for the planet, not only for the cosmos, but for our individual lives. Like, what happens to us after death? These are what we would call core worldview issues. They're the most important questions of the human race that we've been asking from day one, right? And so what I want you to catch is that a worldview is about your assumptions about the most important questions of life, Now, having understood that, let's go back through the definition and we'll add a little nuance there, okay? So let's start, find the phrase where it says, it's true or partially true or entirely false. You see that? Okay, so what what he's saying is that, you know, your assumptions may be really true or they could be partially true or they could be false, 
Just because you're assuming it doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Uh, Next, find the phrase that we hold consciously or subconsciously. You see that? Three people, great. Okay, good. (laughs) For the three of you. um, Yeah, so what he's saying is that sometimes we're aware of our worldview assumptions, other times we're not. Like, Like, let me give you an example. Have you ever had a friend say to you, or you said to a friend, hey, where do you wanna, where do you wanna go out to lunch? And they say, like, I don't care. And then you start suggesting places, and they go, no, no, no. It's like they were unaware that they had an assumption, but they did, right? They didn't want Burger King. They didn't want Natural Cafe, right? They didn't want islands, right? So, so some, when it comes to worldview, sometimes we're aware of our assumptions. Oftentimes, we're not until something presses up against it. Uh, Next, uh, find the phrase consistently or inconsistently. So when it comes to a worldview, uh, we can hold it consistently or we can hold mutual worldviews, parts of worldviews that are like completely inconsistent and impossible. Like for example, someone might be what we call a naturalist or materialist. And so that their worldview is that, that the whole universe started with the Big Bang, and we're all here as a result of billions of years of random accidents and uh, the natural laws and natural selection. And so by definition, they believe that the material universe is all there is. But then they're telling you they're going to a seance this Thursday night. <laughs> and this is very common. Or as Christians, we can say, this is my worldview, this is what I believe, and you act completely contrary to that, right? So it can be either consistent or inconsistent. Uh, The next thing, go to the top of the definition where it says it's a commitment, uh, a fundamental orientation of the heart. So when we talk about worldview, we're not just talking about intellectual beliefs, we're talking about core assumptions that we're committed to. We'll wrestle you over these things. These things are important to us. And next, keep on going, and it says these assumptions can be expressed in story or a set of presuppositions. So in other words, uh, when you are describing our worldview, we can, we can use a story like, like Christians do this. In the beginning, God created, and here's how the story goes. You can do that with naturalism or materialism. You can even write children's books that from a naturalistic point of view that, hey, once upon a time, there was a big bang, and then this happened, and this happened, and so on, right? So it can be, it can be told as a story, or we can express it in statements, kind of uh, uh, scientific or philosophic or theological statements. And then finally, if you go to the very end of the paragraph, it says that, uh, that provides a foundation on which we live and move and have our being. So a, uh, a worldview is about assumptions that are very deep and that it informs everything we do. Everything we do flows out of our worldview. Right? So that's kind of an academic uh, uh, d- uh, definition. Now, for our purposes, at least for today, we may use it in future weeks, but I want to give you my working definition, right? So this is one that I put together. And so there in your note sheet, this is much simpler, but now we can use a more simple one because we understand some of the nuance, that a worldview is our big picture view of reality. It's based on our deepest assumptions about the most important questions in life, right? Now, uh, 
in, in our reading this week, and I'll talk more about this, and uh, you know, we're all reading this book uh, by Natasha Crane called Faithfully Different. And by the way, I want to encourage you, whether you're in a life group or not, I really encourage you to get this book, follow along with the reading plan, because this series is going to be, like, I think, like multiple times effective, uh, not just a little bit better, but it's going to be like, uh, like kind of exponentially better if we're doing both things. Um, but uh, in her book, early on in verse, thir- uh, in that verse, uh, in page 33, page 38, she says she defines it uh, worldview as uh, assumptions about the nature of reality. Okay, that fits with what I'm saying. Um, there's another great book that I believe is in our bookstore. Um, we're going to have more of these, but uh, the late Chuck Colson, just a great Christian leader uh, and a brilliant uh, 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 Christian f- uh, philosopher, Nancy, uh, Nancy Piercy. You'll be hearing more about her in this series. Um, but they describe it like this in their book uh, called How Now Shall We Live, which is a book on worldview. It said, our worldview is simply the sum total of our beliefs about the world. It's the big picture that directs our daily decisions and actions, all right? So that's what worldview is. When we talk about worldview, we're talking about, hey, what are your big, what are your or the person you're talking to, what are kind of big picture assumptions about the most important issues in life, and that from that directs everything we say and do, all right? So now, having said that, uh, what I want to do is I want to make five statements about worldviews, kind of lay out five key principles that will carry us through this whole series. So number one, let's jump in. They'll go pretty fast. Number one, uh, first of all, everyone has a worldview. This is important for us to understand. Remember, it may be conscious or, or subconscious, but everyone has maybe thought out well or not thought out well. Uh, it may be logical or illogical, but everyone has a worldview. Uh, James Sire, again, Universal Story, he says, few people have anything approaching an articulate philosophy, at least as epitomized by the great philosophers. Even fewer, I suspect, have a carefully constructed theology, but everyone has a worldview. Or as Natasha writes, everyone has a worldview whether, whether they have consciously arrived at their answers to life's biggest questions or not. So, so everyone you talk to, you have a teenage son, you've got a, a daughter in college, you have parents, you have relatives, you have coworkers, uh, everyone you're talking to has a worldview. Right? Number two, This goes to the heart of the series, and it goes like this, that spiritual maturity requires a new worldview. That as followers of Jesus, if we're gonna grow up, if we're gonna be transformed, if we're gonna become like Jesus, if we're gonna live life to the full, that it requires uh, a new worldview, a renewing of our worldview. So the key passage for this series, in fact, this is where the subtitle of this series came from, you know, worldview, renewing your mind, is Romans 12, chapter 2. And so Paul is writing to Christians there, and he says, uh, he says do not conform to the pattern of this world. So in the Greek, the, world, the word for pattern is the word schema, where we get our word scheme, right? So this world is going to have a variety of different schemes, the way they look at life, worldviews, and he says we can't conform to that. He says, but be what? Be transformed. So if you've been here at Rocky Peak any length of time, you will know this is our top priority as a church. We believe the whole purpose of following Jesus is to become transformed to be like him uh, in, his, in his core character, in his perspective, in his values, in his actions, his reactions. 
And so Paul says that, that uh, we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed. We're to be changed at a core level. And he says, and this happens by a renewing of your what? Mind. mind right? So catch us, this is not automatic. We'll come back to in just a minute. And he said, and then once your mind is transformed, you'll be able to test and approve, I like the word experience, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So catch this. What Paul is saying is when we come to Jesus, he has an epic vision for each of our lives. And he's called us to be transformed. He has a will for our lives that's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. It's a whole new way of life. But in order to experience it, we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And if our minds are not renewed, catch this, we won't experience his will for our lives. And so what I want you to catch, this is not automatic. It's why Paul's telling us to do this. It's not automatic. And so what, what can happen, we can be a Christian 30, 40, 50 years, and our minds are never transformed, and therefore we're really not experiencing the life that God's created us to live. We're not living in fullness of life because, because our mind has never been transformed. And what we're going to see is that is actually very common. We'll see this later that the vast majority of people in our nation who would self-identify as a follower of Jesus do not have a Christian worldview. That we, that we, we are Christians, we love Jesus, we've given our, but we still think from a non-biblical worldview. And therefore, our minds, our, our minds and lives are not transformed, right? Number three, worldview is critical for understanding culture. Like, if you want to understand any culture, understanding the worldview of that culture is, is critical. Uh, it's interesting. I didn't know this till recently, but, but, uh, but from what I understand, if you're going to be a diplomat, like for the United States, you're going to be sent overseas to be a diplomat in a foreign country, um, you would think that the top priority would be to learn the language, right? And, and of course, that's very important. You have to learn the language, but, but what's more important is you learn the worldview of the culture you're going to. And so if you want to understand any culture, you have to understand their worldview, how they, how they answer these biggest questions of life. Now, I don't know about you, but the last three years in our country, all right, so let's go back. Start with 2020, right? That's when COVID hit in March. So 2020... 2021, 2022 have been the years of more radical social change than any other years in my lifetime. And I would suggest, I would believe that they're the, the years of the most radical change in the history of our nation. So I, I want to just like throw out, so here's some of the changes we've seen in the last three years, just to refresh our memory. Number one, the whole political landscape has changed so much in the last three years. And I'm not talking about who's in office or who not, but the whole political process has become so divisive, so attacking, right? It's just, just think back to before 2020 and Facebook and think to after, you know? It's just like we're in a different world, like something's happened. Uh, here's a, the next one, uh, race relations, have radically changed. Like before, like if you go back three years ago, 
like probably most of us had never heard of critical race theory. Like that, that wasn't something that we talked about at the dinner table, right? Um, uh, here's what human sexuality, hey, what's normal, what's good, what's right and true, radically shifted over the last three years. Gender uh, ideology radically shifted. Um, here's what immigration policy, gone through radical shifts in the last three years. Um, here's one, education. What we're teaching our children in public education radically shifted in the last three years. Um, here's one, identity politics. My guess is going back three years, most of us had never even heard of that. And yet now it's, it defines so much of our, our landscape. Uh, here's one, the rise of homelessness. Now, I'm not talking about why it's happening, what should the solution. I'm just saying that it used to be when you'd ride through, go through the city, you wouldn't see uh, tent cities. Uh, you, you, wouldn't see, you wouldn't see that. Like if you went down to Venice Beach, it looked a lot different uh, three, three years ago than it does now, right? Uh, and that's, that's just, you know, we see that all over. Here's another one. Defund the police. I had never heard of defunding the police before 2020. Um, here's another one, the rapid rise of the popularity of socialism and even Marxism. A huge shift in our culture in three years. And here's the thing, that I think often these rapid shifts have left us almost confused and like, what is going on? And many times we look at all these different changes and we kind of look as if, they're, as if there's just sort of random changes that happen to be happening at the same time. But the reality is many, if not most of the changes I just mentioned are the result of new worldviews that started in the 1960s, but catch this, reached a tipping point in 2020. And so what's happening is in our culture, there's a different set of assumptions about the core issues of life. And if we want to understand our culture and be able to speak into our culture, we have to understand not just down what's happening down here. That's a, these are just symptoms. We have to understand the worldview ideas that are driving these changes. Uh, there in your note sheet, I mentioned earlier the book by Charles Colson and Nancy Pearson, uh, How Now Shall We Live? But they talk about this and they said, to engage the world, and, and they wrote this back, I think in like 2003 or 2005, but they said to engage the world, or as Christians, uh, requires that we understand the great ideas, and, and I would put it like the big picture ideas, that compete for people's minds and hearts. The culture war is not just about abortion or homosexual rights. I think if they're writing it today, they'd say kind of LGBTQ rights or whatever. Um, it's, or the decline in public education, these are only the skirmishes. The real war is a cosmic struggle between worldviews, between the Christian worldview and the various secular and spiritual worldviews arrayed against us. I don't know if you remember this, but during COVID, when we were meeting out in the parking lot, I think, but I, I did a series on spiritual warfare. And I don't know if you remember this. One of the things I told you is that spiritual warfare at the highest level happens at the level of ideas. And the reason is, if the enemy can control how we think, 
or if he can control how a culture thinks, he can control the culture. Like, uh, say you live in a culture that uh, we go back 50 years or maybe adultery was considered more wrong or maybe living together before your uh, marriage was considered wrong. Like, if you wanted to get someone to live together, the enemy had to work overtime to convince you to do that. If, if you change the whole way a culture looks at living together, you don't have to do any work. It just happens. Are you with me on this? You just, if you change the way a culture thinks, you change the culture overnight. And what, what's happening in our culture is these different competing worldviews that began launching in the 1960s. Postmodernism uh, that led to identity politics. Uh, that they, they started there and they started in our universities. And we've now had 50 or 60 years of educating our young on these ideas, and these people are now in power. They're in places of position, corporate America, uh, 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 universities, uh, government, right? And so what we're seeing is a tipping point where these big picture ideas, worldview ideas, are becoming increasingly influential. And so if we want to understand what's happening in our culture, we can't just look at the symptoms down here. We have to look at the big picture ideas so we can engage at that level if we're going to have a positive impact on the direction of our culture or share Christ. And that's what they say next. If you look at the last sentence, this is what we must understand if we're going to, number one, be effective in both evangelizing our world today and sharing Christ, and then number two, in transforming it to reflect the wisdom of the creator, that we would have a positive impact on our culture for the good of all, right? This leads to the fourth principle. The fourth principle is to share Christ well, we need a worldview perspective. That as followers of Jesus, uh, and maybe you're here, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're checking out, that's great, but... As followers of Jesus, right, that one of our top callings in life is to help others take this journey from non-belief to belief, right? And Jesus said, hey, we're to go into all the world and we're to share the message of his life and his death and resurrection, what it means, and we're to make disciples, followers who are learning how to obey everything that he taught. This goes to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is why in our vision statement as a church, that we say that our vision here is to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. And we define that passionate Christ followers with four phrases. Number one, we're pursuing God. Our top priority is to know him and love him and please him. Number two, loving people as he's loved us. Number three, serving sacrificially with our time, gifts, and resources to advance his kingdom. And then number four is sharing Christ. But here's the thing that if we want to be able to share Christ effectively in our culture, we have to learn to have conversations with people at a worldview level. Because we can no longer go and assume that we have a common worldview. Like 50 years ago, people valued the Bible. And you could talk to them about what the Bible says, and even if they're not a believer, they'd have a respect for the Bible. But today, that is not the case. So we can't just go to someone and say, well, the Bible says. 
Because to the, it's like saying the dictionary says. It carries no weight. It carries no authority. And catch this. It's not just that they don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Catch this. For many people we're talking to, I'm talking about our sons, our daughters, our relatives. We're talking, they not only, they don't believe that the Bible is the word of God. They don't believe that there is such a thing as truth with a capital T. And so what they'll say to you is, that's so great that that's working for you. That's your truth, but I have my own truth. And so we've moved in many ways into a postmodern world where one of, the, one of the most powerful worldviews in our culture right now is a postmodern worldview that takes in a lot of ground, but at the, but the base of it feels like there is no such thing as truth with a capital T that applies to all people at all times. And so if we're having a conversation with a person like that and trying to say, well, the Bible says it's like, Whoa. And what's really interesting, when you look at the Bible, you study the life of the Apostle Paul, he really models this for us. The way he shared Jesus with Jewish people was completely different than the way he shared it with Gentile people. Like when he was sharing with, with Jews, he, they share the same worldview. They both believe there's only one God. They both believe that God had, was the creator of the universe. They both believed that, uh, that, that God had spoken to the nation of Israel through Moses and the prophets. And we have these scriptures that are authoritative in our lives. And so when Paul was talking with Jews, you know what he would do? He would say, hey, let's look at the scriptures and, and let's look at the prophecies about the Messiah. And let me tell you about Jesus and let's compare what happened to Jesus with the prophecies. And if A equals B, then we know we got a match. That was, his, that was his methodology. But if you study him, like when he's sharing Christ in Athens with Gentiles who are either worshipers of, other, of pagan gods or they're, like say, Greco-Roman philosophers, Stoic philosophers, Epicurean, he doesn't start there. He doesn't mention the word of God at all. What he starts with is he finds a common bridge. He says, you know, I was walking through your city and uh, I saw this, this uh, statue to uh, God, and it was called the unknown God. And he said, I'd like to talk with you about that unknown God. And he started with basics. And so if we want to share Christ well and have an impact on our culture, we have to understand this concept of worldview because otherwise we're sharing Christ with people. We are going like this. Completely different set of assumptions. We have to understand their assumptions. We have to learn from them and then, and then begin to engage at that level. Number five. Number five is that our worldview is a map of reality. So throughout this series, I'll be using this analogy, this metaphor, that a worldview is like a map. It's like a map of reality. So the... So catch this, the purpose of a worldview is to explain what we know to be true about the world. Hey, this is how the world, we're at, hey, what is, what, what's truth in these? Why is the world like it is? And a worldview should explain that. And it's like a map. But the thing about a map is that a map is only as valuable as it is accurate. So for example, if I'm driving uh, to a location, I've got Google Maps on my dash, um, and 
and it says, it says, I'm going down Tampa. I'm going down Tampa, you know, here in I don't know, Northridge, wherever it is. I'm going down Tampa, and, and I'm, I'm coming up to a street, and my map says that crossroads Devonshire. Like, I should be able, as I get there, if I'm not familiar with it, look, kind of looking for this, oh yeah, we're on Tampa, yep, that's Devonshire. The map matches reality. So a map should be able to kind of lead you to navigate to where you want to go. In the same way, a worldview is like a map that helps you navigate life. But you can measure the truth of a, the truthfulness, the accuracy of a worldview by to what extent it matches up with real life and explains real life. You know, today we started the day with a story about this misadventure in my life. Um, and I'm not going to go into details of all how it ended, because I just don't have time. But I will say this, that I'm still standing here today, and that's how the story ends. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we're up on this ledge, you know, and we are kind of freaking out, really, you know? I mean, we're, we're on the edge of winter. No one knows where we, we haven't told anyone where we are. We're lost in the snow, no communication devices, um, without a map. And it was really looking pretty dire. In fact, the next day when we decided to hike again, my friend left all of his pots and pans and anything of, of had any weight. He just wanted to strip it down to be his, you know, only, we're only taking the things we need for survival. He was like, what are, you, what are you leaving? I said, I'm not leaving anything. I'm hoping we get out. I want to buy it again. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that whole misadventure, you know why it happened? It happened because we misread our map. That, first of all, we only had one map, and it was his map, and then he'd cut it down to save weights. Oh and... Uh, <laughs> And then he, when he had told me this is the place where we're to cross, it's like, well, you know, he's honestly, he's much smarter at this kind of stuff than me. And I'm like, great, let's do that. And so when we got to the river, it all, we, in our head, it matched up, you know? And so what happened, I think, and I don't know for sure to this day, but I think what happened is that we were on the wrong river. <laughs> so we're looking for our path. We're looking for Devonshire, and it's not there. Uh, yeah, Nora Resina, right, yeah. <laughs> we're like, we're headed to Barstow, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, you, ever make, you ever make that mistake coming back on the 210 and you're not paying attention and you head on to the five? There's like no way to get back. Like you end up, you have to go to Lancaster or something, you know? But here's what I want you to catch. The value of a worldview, it's a map, and if it's, a good worldview, it aligns with the map of life. Like when you follow it, it works out. It makes sense. The facts of, let me give you an example, simple example, Marxism, right? So Marxism is a materialist, uh, a naturalist uh, worldview. So in other words, that Karl Marx believed that there was no God, that we're, we're, we're here as a result of random forces, right? 
And, uh, and so as he looked at life and he looked at the, the misery around him in life, and by the way, catch this, every worldview has some really positive insights. It's just that Christianity has them all, right? right. So we'll see that in the series. But sometimes we're, we'll, we'll criticize a worldview without understanding it, without understanding that every worldview has some real truth in it. Right? And, so, and so we want to understand what we're criticizing. So like in Marxism, he looks at the misery around him and he comes to the conclusion that the problem with life, the, the, the reason why people are in pain, the reason why life is not worth, the reason why people aren't fulfilled, the reason they're not actualized, the, way they're, the reason they're alienated, the reason is because of economy, economics. And the problem is you've got people who own the means of production and people who don't. And if the state, if the state could just, we could all own the means of production together, then we would, the world would be a harmonious place and everyone could thrive. All right, so that's a, that's a map, all right? So this is a map saying if you take this route and you have a revolution and you put all of the means of production, the economy under the government so no one owns anything privately, then this will lead you to a culture where everyone is thriving and fulfilled. That's a map. Are you with me? Okay. Now, how did that map play out? It led to the death of 100 million people who didn't buy into that map that had to be eliminated. And in the end... Those, uh, those nations that embrace that economic theory have had to turn back to capitalism again in order to survive and grow again. Now, very clear, I'm, I'm not making an argument here for capitalism. That's not my point. Here's the point. The point is when you say this is the problem, this is a solution, this is what a worldview does. This is the problem, this is who we are, this is a solution, this is what we need to do to fix it. And when you say, okay, that's a map. And so when you follow that map, does it work? Does it make sense? Does it align with life? And here's what we're gonna see in this series. Is it every other worldview leads to a dead end, a cul-de-sac, or destruction? The only worldview that aligns with life the way it really is, with people the way we really are, is Christianity, is the Christian worldview. And so we're gonna see that. And I think oftentimes as Christians, we can be intimidated because we're in the midst of a culture where the Christian worldview is such a minority view anymore that we're intimidated because all the intelligentsia, the elites, the media, all the government, it's all bought into these worldviews and so it starts to make us think like, well, ours must not be very good. The reality is, if you put your thinking cap on and you follow it out, these are all dead ends. The only worldview that really describes the cosmos as it is, that describes human beings as we are, that gives us the understanding of why history is the way it is, is the worldview of Jesus and the worldview of the word that the worldview of Jesus, it's bolder, it's brighter, it's stronger, it's more reasonable, and it's more beautiful than any other worldview on the market. Amen. Right? And so one of my goals in this series is for us to help us to understand this 
So that as followers of Jesus, first of all, we embrace a truly biblical worldview. Secondly, that we be transformed as we embrace it. And thirdly, we have tremendous confidence in who we are as followers of Jesus to speak with authority and confidence to a culture that is self-destructing, not by accident, but because it's imbibing destructive worldviews. So this leads to an important question. By the way, this is the question I forgot to ask last time. <laughs> I had the worship team out here. I had to send them back. You guys go backstage again. Here we go. One question. So here's a question I'm going to be asking in a wide variety of ways throughout this series. But the question is, what is your worldview? Now, as we sit here, my assumption is that we come from many different backgrounds. I'm assuming here that there are some of us here have been longtime Jesus followers. I'm assuming that some of us have just come to Jesus last year. I'm assuming that everything in between. I'm assuming that there are some of us here are, who I've described as a seeker, that for whatever you're, you're here, is there anything in Christianity? There's something missing in my life. Is there anything here? Some of you may be here as skeptics. That what, for whatever reason, you've been invited, and you don't think this, this is crazy, Christianity, so it's just so antiquated, it's just so, caused so many problems. For whatever reason, you're here, right? So, so what I want you to catch is this series is for everybody. This series is for everyone. But having said that, I'm going to ask you, that, so what is your worldview? And here's what I want you to catch, that often we assume, well, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe in the authority of the word of God, I must have a Christian worldview. But that's actually not the case. And this week, we're going to be reading in Natasha's book, you know, Faithfully Different, uh, the first chapter, where she does an amazing job of compiling some research on kind of kind of American culture, how a uh, worldview of American culture, those who call themselves Christians, those versus those who go to church, things like that, and just call this together. And in that chapter, here's one of the quotes that she'll have. She's gonna quote a study by George Barna, who's the foremost pollster, Christian pollster in America. And look what he says. Barna found that only 17% of Christians, now catch this, who consider their faith important and who attend church regularly hold to a biblical worldview. Now, to be clear, that's not 17% of all Americans or even 17% of Christians. That's 17% of Christians who consider their faith important and attend church regularly. And then she says, once again, we see that people with a biblical worldview are hard to find today, even in churches. And so this series is, be, is going to be a challenge. And you say, Michael, why is this so important? Why are you so passionate? Why have you invested so much time in this? I'll tell you why. Here's why. That if we don't understand this, we will not be able to understand the rapid shifts that are happening in our culture and speak into it intelligently. And if we don't understand this, we can't be transformed by renewing of our mind. And we will miss the, the, what Jesus called life to the full. Because in order to experience that, we have to be transformed by a renewing of our mind. And finally, if we don't understand this, we can't impact our culture and we can't help most other people take the journey of faith to Jesus. And so what I want to do is just invite you to embrace this series 
with me. It's just, we're just gonna do seven more weeks. In some ways, we're gonna be just kind of hitting the surface. But I think it's gonna be enough to get us going. And I think this series is gonna be uh, a life-changing for our church. It's gonna start many of us on new journeys to growth. And so I wanna encourage you just to join me on this journey as together we, uh, we pursue this important topic of worldview and what the word says about renewing our minds. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we're just excited to be here and thankful for the beauty of your word. And, and we're so thankful that Christianity, it really is the only worldview that when you think it through, actually makes sense and aligns with reality. That every other worldview is, by nature, self-refuting or has to leave out so much of reality to make the system work. And so, Father, we pray that you would fill us with a new confidence of what this means as followers of Jesus and that, we'd be, that we would, would, would allow you to transform our worldview, that we could experience the will of God, that which is good and pleasing and perfect, and then we could be a light in a dark place to give hope to the hopeless to help those who don't know you now make that journey to know you and have their lives transformed. We pray, Lord, that during this series, that is what this song we're about to sing, that it was just like a fresh wind of your spirit would blow through our church, blow through our lives, giving us hope and confidence in who we are and who you are, the truth about life, that we become well-equipped to share that truth with others to help them step into the life that you've called them to live. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.